Welcome to Real Native Roots, Untold Stories, a podcast by Native Woman with Deep Roots. Good day, relatives. How are you? It's a beautiful day, a beautiful Saturday. I have nothing to complain about besides cold toes. That's about it. <laughs> it's been really good. I cannot believe this is the last sort of official podcast for 2020. 2020, yes. It was March of 2019 when the idea came, October of 2019 when I decided, you know what, I'm going to do it, <laughs> and then launched the first one in January, and here we are. It's been amazing. I have learned so much, and I'm having so much fun, and meeting amazing, amazing Native women and men, and just hearing their medicine, and I'm really hoping that you all are taking whatever from it, inspiration, sort of self-reflection, and also just sharing each other's medicine and how you choose to use that. So I want to thank you, Ahihat, for listening, for sharing, and and also just supporting. So thank you. I can't wait to introduce to you the guests. I purposely had her last <laughs> and really wanted her to be the last for this year, for the first year, because she was one of the few, I probably would say five, five individuals last year when I was thinking about it. And she was one <clears throat> that I was going back and forth by a text, like, should I do this? I don't know. And so, you know, I value, you know, people's opinions about certain things. And she had given me some really uh, good advice on how I should do that, <clears throat> and so I did. Anyway, I can't wait to tell you a little bit more about her, but before I do that, the reason why I brought her on was really because I wanted her to talk about her medicine that I feel that she brings, um, and that's music. I love music, and I have to have music in my life every day. Every day I got to listen to some music, and you know I want to thank my dad, Shijaa, my mom, <clears throat> my Nully, which is my uh, dad's um, parents, my grandparents on my dad's side, they all have brought some form of music in my life, you know, traditional um, the music, ceremonial music. I grew up a lot with um, Native American church music, peyote music. That's all that my dad ever really listened to. My mom, I have to just thank her, <laughs> the range of music she brought into my life. Um, as you all know, she loves Buffy St. Marie, so I grew up with Buffy, not knowing who really who Buffy was. So folk, country, oldies, you know, rock, she, she loved all that, and that has influenced me in different ways. I'm not a singer, however, you know, I played an instrument or two, but I, I just love music, and... My children are the same way. They listen to all kinds of music. And so I, I would say kind of know the, the young 20-year-olds, um, their music. And, you know, I, I at least keep up to date with what they're listening to. So music, yes, it's, it has brought me joy. It also has been my friend in times where I'm sad. It also has healed me in different situations and um, it is all around us. So that is why I brought my guests on. And I want to give a sample of um, one. Uh, I'm going to play two little snippets. And so I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to hear how beautiful this voice is. It's just amazing. Isn't that beautiful? 
Uh, I'm going to play another one. And this one I love. I just, I love the, the music, um, the different types of music that are in here. So let me play this next one. Doesn't that bring a smile to your face? It, it brings a smile to my face. I just think it's beautiful that it's the new woman song. And um, the first one was uh, Road Forward. So now for me to introduce the beautiful voice, the name behind the beautiful voice, is a woman um, that is a mother. She's a singer, composer, producer, she has performed in some amazing places. Kennedy Center. <laughs> she's performed at Woodstock 94. Um, she's also performed and opened with other amazing artists like Buffy St. Marie, which I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, she, she has done a lot. She's been uh, on television appearances, done some acting. She's also an activist, an educator, and she, in my opinion, I think she's, she can be, and I, you know, I'm getting to know her, but I think she could be a little fierce, but also real and very soft and tender is how I see her. And when you meet her, that is her. She's all real, raw, and normal. <laughs> Sharp wit and a Libra, for those of you who may want to know, she's a Libra. And she is the queen of memes, I can tell you that. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce to you all, Jennifer Kreisberg. Hi, Jennifer. <laughs> Hi, Vicki. <laughs> I really, that was a very beautiful intro. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> uh, how are you? You're giggling. <laughs> yeah, I'm the queen of memes. That's me. me. Those of you know that Jennifer, if you follow her, some of her memes are like funny, they're sarcastic, and they're also a little dark humor, which I totally get because I have two boys and they're, you know, I get it. So I think they're hilarious. (laughs) How are you today, Jennifer? I'm good. I'm good. I got no complaints. I, uh, you know, that's the humor that gets us through, right? It's a type of medicine. And I learned from the best, hanging out with some of our old comedians and and whatever back in the day. And uh, I think it's important to curate our social media with a, a good dose of humor, especially these days. Otherwise, we get kind of lost in the seriousness of of it all. Right. So, Jen, I didn't tell folks much about your your roots, your people. Um, where you come from, and I, I will be honest, when I first started to learn about you, I had never really heard of the tribe, and I'm going to probably rip it up, but I think it's Tuscaro, Tuscarora, Tuscarora, <laughs> see, you're laughing at me, Tuscarora. <laughs> you can hear me try and pronounce Navajo things, so we're even, don't worry. Um, excuse me, excuse me, Diné, things. Um, it's Tuscarora, and that is the like the English word for it. It's really Scarlet, but you know, it's Tuscarora is fine. Yes, and they're in North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about your people. Um, we settled in the Carolinas a, a gazillion, couple thousand or whatever thousands of years ago. Came from up north and went down south, and then uh, 
made made that our homeland. And then at the time of contact, when everything started going to hell, um, after what's known now as the Tuscarora War, a group, a pretty large group, people that were from actually the lower towns, uh, went up north and officially joined the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And so they settled on both sides of the Canadian border. So there's groups in upstate New York, and then there's some in Six Nations. And then there's a whole bunch of us that remained in North Carolina. The people that remained in North Carolina were from the upper towns or upper villages, whatever you want to call it. And that's who I, that's who, that's what my home community is in North Carolina. I was born and raised in Connecticut, however, and uh, my parents, my dad was a music teacher and my mom was a classically trained opera singer and they met at music college. And, uh, They were both from New York, and they both settled in Connecticut after school. And then my mom, they got pregnant and had me, and then my mom switched gears away from professional music career. And then my cousin, whose name is Purafe, had started a group with another woman named Sunny, and they had another lady singer and she had moved on and they needed a third singer because it's a harmony group it was a harmony group or it is a harmony group and I knew all the songs so I was like I know all the songs and all the parts I knew all the harmonies mm-hmm. and they they tried me out and I turns out I knew all the parts and then I um I joined them full time I did about three semesters of college and decided that I that wasn't for me but most of that time playing Miss Pac-Man and skipping class and <laughs> doing other things and uh, taking naps in the grass behind the buildings. Anyway, um, then I, I joined them full time and then we became what was known as Eula Lee and that's how that, that started. And you were so young. You were 17. So I was a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Babies. Before that, though, um, your uh, native roots is from your mom's side, correct? Yes. My dad is Jewish, uh, New York Jew, like Bernie Sanders, Uncle Bernie. (laughs) And um, my, yeah, that's, they they actually didn't meet in New York, so they met in Connecticut at school. Mm. They hit it off, and they're still together, and um, both really supportive. And yeah, mm. I was curious about the reason why I wanted to know what side is. Um, I, I read somewhere that you come from four generations of seven singing sisters, and so I wanted to know a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, it was my mom had six sisters. There were seven of them. My grandparents had seven girls. My poor grandpa kept trying for a boy. <laughs> Finally, gave up after seven. <laughs> They're old school. They're both my grandparents are from North Carolina, but they emigrated up to New York at different times, and then actually same thing met in New York. And um, my, that's through my grandma's line, though. And her, she was the baby of seven sisters, and they all used to sing. And then it goes back like that. Her mother, same thing, goes like back like that through those generations. And then my mom and my aunts, none of them had seven kids, and I damn sure wasn't going to have seven kids. So that that stopped with my grandma, with my uh, mother's generation, <laughs> the seven kids. But my mom's the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter. Wow. And I'm not sure if that goes back. But, yeah. Did she sing traditional at all? My mom, no, she did not. No, she does not. Mm. She's singing opera right now, actually. Wow. <laughs> in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel like the tradition, like, you know, being connected, finding your roots and singing? I learned from my cousin and we went home to North Carolina. We wanted to know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's really the only way you can really 
And there's a lot of people, I mean, there's some people who can't go home, right? They don't know where home is. So that's, you know, everybody's story is different and everybody's experience is different, not to be judged. But we went home and, and wanted to learn everything that we could, you know, besides what we had been passed down to us. Because it's different, it's a different context than when you're home, in your home community and on that actual land. There's something you get from the land, right? that you don't quite get from the city. And even though the city, there's still land underneath all that concrete and, and tar and all of that asphalt, but it's not the same. There's just so much um, for your senses, noise and and light and artificial light, so that when you go home to your home community, if you're, luck- if it's, if you're lucky enough and it hasn't been paved over and cityfied, there's just information you get from the land. Is the best way I can put it, and um, that has a lot to do with what I'm doing today, and and being connected in the community—the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sometimes it's not always great. The reality of hundreds of years of colonization and and uh, all of that—that that, that means I'll just say this: that my home community voted like 90% for Trump, which I just can't wrap my mind around someone who hates Indians <laughs> and pretty much everyone else who isn't rich and white. But that's the reality of the South and my home community. Because, you know, it's, it's been an, an interesting journey all the way around. Thank you for sharing that. I was curious about how the, you know, traditional sort of music um, came to you and I, I agree with you completely about, you know, the best place for for that learning is to be in that community, you know, to be even around the community of people who, who know that. And I remember my um, my elders, my 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 parents actually, my mom and my dad at some point in different points would say like it's important to know at least one song. If you can know one song you know, from your culture, from, from us is the like, you know, the song or even a Native American church song. It's just good to know one song that will carry you and, um, it's strength and it offers you medicine at times that you need it. And so completely agree with you there. I wanted you to talk a little bit more about what you said earlier, cause, um, you had mentioned it in, uh, of, Tell not it's a little video on Amplify, which we can talk about. You can tell a little bit about tell folks a little bit about Amplify, but you had said something about music comes from the land and how have you used that? How has that continued to inspire you in your music? So just wanted to just dig a little deeper with music here with you. Well, the way I was taught from two of my cousins, one of them was born and raised down there and still lives down home. And and then my cousin put her favorite. What I was taught is that um, our teaching is that the, the, the land informs everything. So when you're living on a specific piece of land, your music is going to sound like that land. Like I find that traditional Diné songs sound kind of deserty to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and sound like a place that's different than the really lush green place where my people come from, like those shoe dance songs. And, and they sound like that land out there to me. And our songs are fuller, have a fuller sound. I don't mean fuller isn't better, but they just sound more like the green swampy forest that our people come from. You know what I mean? You hear all these bugs and, and insects, and then all of a sudden, because that's what you grew up hearing, it comes out in the music that you compose traditionally or not. And I was also taught that everybody sings. It it isn't it isn't something I know that now because of the overculture and society that we're all living surrounded by or in, um, you know, they've kind of separated people from music and you get your music from these professional artists and from the radio and the T V and back in the day everybody sang and it wasn't really about technicality or whatever it was just we had songs for everything we had songs for birthing songs for 
people transitioning to the next life, the next world, the sky world. We had songs for working, grinding corn, tending our gardens, going to war, coming back from war, peace songs, and a lot of social songs and celebration songs. And we had a tradition that my cousin from home taught me about that, that, Whenever we would have our night ceremonies, they would start at sundown and go till sunup. They, people would sing, and there were even though everybody was was expected to get in and sing and dance, no matter what age, even if you were bleeding or not or any of those things, everybody was expected to to join in. Um, there were still preferred singers, right? People people had preferred singers, so a preferred singer or two would be chosen. And they would go all night long. And we had certain phrases that were like refrains or whatever Western music calls them, hooks or whatever. And and then those singers were composing in the moment. You know what I mean? Wow. They were, And I think in jazz they call it improvisation. And I would call it composing because you're still making up, you're still composing new songs in that moment. And that's something that uh, is very different than the Western view of, or even the colonized traditional view, or whatever you want to call it, of here's a song, here's a very minimal scale that you can use to write your song, and we're going to write it on a piece of paper, and that's it. It was completely different for at least my people, completely different for us. We had certain refrains and licks that remained and certain ceremonial songs that were exact and never changed. But a lot of social songs and other songs, it was this improv that you get directly from the land that you're on. And that's the teaching I was given from home. And I, um, I don't know, that's how I compose now. <laughs> and it made life so much easier. And I um, I don't know how to read music in a Western way. I need to learn, though, so I can collaborate with other people who play those type of instruments easier. But, I, in fact, I just had a funny experience last year working on a film. It was a Native woman's film, Native woman's content. But the woman had gotten this German man from Germany to be the head of her the music for her film. And she's like, I want you to do something for the film so can you go to his studio he doesn't live far from you so I went to his studio and I started you know some things I had prepared and some things I didn't I was like I'll just you know see what happens when I'm watching this scene or whatever and he was so disgusted he was like are you just making that up and I was just like I'm making it up the way white composers make it up when they write it down on paper. Like, what is the difference? Are they using some kind of math formula or something? <laughs> like, everyone that's ever made a song hears it in their head first and then brings it out into, brings it forth into the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've had a lot of experiences like that, actually, where people just don't understand that kind of traditional-based composing. Well, good for you for speaking up and <laughs> Speaking your mind. Oh, I, I'm giving you the sanitized version, <laughs> darling. I, oh, yeah. I, I left that session after about an hour. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he got it. Don't worry. I handled it. <laughs> good. Good for you. Because I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have just sat there like, uh, I probably wouldn't have said anything. I don't know what I would have done. It it just depends. Yeah. It's, it's just hard to be a woman in this business because it's a male-dominated business and there's a lot of good men in the business too i don't want to be like metal trash because they're not and i've collaborated with some phenomenal brothers and good dudes righteous dudes of all races but but the general overall energy of the business part of it is is very um colonial and and very like oh little lady you sit there and look cute and and sing pretty and and that just, let me tell you something, nothing makes me see red more than that attitude. And I'm just like, it's so hard to get just basic respect in this business. Doesn't matter how many good songs you make, doesn't matter how well you do. It's just an energy that comes with, you know, when, when everything's been colonized, including music. So I've dealt with lots and lots of 
pulling the weight and doing all the work, and then some guy comes and lifts his leg on it and puts his name on it. And it's like, dude, you did two notes, and I did 10 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? There, it's a collaboration. We did it together. It's like, no, we didn't. And it, it generally happens with disconnected men. That's been my experience. I can't speak for everyone. Just men that aren't connected to their full selves, that aren't connected to their families in a really meaningful way, that aren't connected. You don't have to be connected to your home community because colonization doesn't allow for that all the time, but they don't even have a city community either. It's just they're connected to wanting to make it big. That's what they're connected to. And that's, I, I still to this day have that experience, but I've also had the opposite where it's just really good, good people, men and women. It's just a, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Do you feel that that's changing now that we have more native artists, performers, even artists who are really just taking the reins of like, you know what, I'm going to be my own producer, my own, all of this. Do you feel that, that that's changing? That's absolutely changing. But, you know, there's with the demise of record companies and the demise of do-it-yourself distribution and online streaming platforms, that's absolutely changing. And then with the, the, the strides in technology, there's all these technologies now that you can make a really good-sounding album from your bedroom with a computer and now with your phone. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing. It's amazing. And people definitely are doing that. I'm not that chick. I don't want to press the buttons. I just want to sing. I absolutely need assistance in that. But I, I see so many people doing that and I am in awe and I respect them and their work. And I've been, you know, blessed to have amazing collaborators. So I don't have to worry about that. So I, I wanted to, I was curious about one other thing uh, in terms of you, what you do to prepare yourself for any performance. And, and I'll tell you why I asked that question. And when you get ready to sing, get ready to be in the space to, to do what you need to do, what is sort of your ritual and what you need to do before you get out in front of folks or before you perform? Well, first I have an anxiety attack. And then <laughs> I, um, in my older years, the age I am now, it's not about age. It's just more about the time on earth I've had, the time spent here doing this. Um, now I take vitamin D early in the day. I take some magnesium because I do get anxious. And I drink a couple of liters of water in prep. And I try to get good sleep the night before. And then if I'm feeling jittery, which I generally do, I'll call a couple, one of my inner circle BFFs or text them. And they'll be like, you're crazy, you're fine, you've been doing this forever, don't worry about it, you know, relax. <laughs> and it just helps, right? So it's basically my extended community helps me prepare and that is the honest truth that's what I do to prepare I don't I've started doing warm-ups and stuff just a little bit not too much because you really should do that I just never developed you Lolly man we used to like go out and have a cigarette before our shows that was our warm-up you know what I mean we just never <laughs> we never we were never like me 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 like we never did any of that stuff and I realize now that I'm older that there is value in that I just wasn't, I didn't come up in that. So I've had to sort of teach myself, you know, and, and, and intuit what's right for my body and my throat and, and my whatever. But one thing I've realized is that a lot of it's in your head. Mm -hmm. So you just, I spend most of my time trying to keep my head in a good place before anything, any performance. That is so true. It is so true in, in everything that we do, uh, our head, our mind, how it just, can override. I mean, like I butchered your tribe's name when I was practicing that. Oh, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> I don't worry about well, it. I know, but I'm just saying like, I like even for nerves, right? Like, you know, shake it off. And the reason why I asked that is like, I was looking at some of your photos and some of the videos and I love the signature piece that you put on 
your necklace. I, I think it's so beautiful. I'm like, I wonder what the story of that necklace is. And the reason why I ask that is like every time you perform, most of the pictures I see, you have that on. And it also just made me think about, you know, in our culture, uh, you know, we all have signature sort of pieces that we wear all the time. So like there's a ring that my mom always wears, like, you know, that's the ring, right? And there's a story behind that. And so it made me curious about that, what, you know, just sort of envisioning you getting ready and, you know, there's this sort of ritual that we do. And so I'm curious about that necklace. So tell me a little bit about it. That necklace, that's a good question. Sheesh, gosh, five million years ago, you Ali had a show at Canadian Music Festival. Um, I think it was in Edmonton or one of those places, north and west of here. And it was the first time I had ever seen Maori people, Me'eni, and, and seen a haka live. And we were on stage for our headliner show. Or, you know, when you do festivals, they make you do like 30,000 appearances. <laughs> we need you to do 10 workshops at 9 in the morning. Like, they just mop the floor with you, right? And then you get, like, one headlining show on the main stage, and then, you you know, whatever. So it was that show, and this Maori dance group was um, opening the show and blessing the show. And <clears throat> let me be, let me have some class here. So these dudes with the biggest size I'd ever seen in grass skirts and their traditional um, paint all over their bodies, were like literally like three feet in front of us because the stage was tight. And they did the most amazing haka I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, I want to go to New Zealand tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) We were all like, what? What? (laughs) And it was just so, uh, you know, you've seen a haka. Anyway, I don't need to keep going on. So we hung out with those guys later and they were sweet and respectful. And um, there's one guy, the one who was standing in front of me, he had this necklace on. And we, I, you know, we, I didn't want to be disrespectful to the relationship I was in. And I think he was married. So we exchanged necklaces. And that was it. Nothing else happened. And barely spoke. And his necklace was just the centerpiece that has always remained the centerpiece of my necklace. And through the years, it's gone through many different iterations. Every time a piece breaks off, I add something to it. And all the pieces on it are pieces I got from one piece from um, New Orleans. I got a New Orleans, but it came from Africa and it's a little foot. And then one piece, another piece. Um, and I feel like that protects me wherever I walk. And then another piece I got from a, a family of singers in Vancouver, and it's a, a special, a specific kind of whale to where they live off the coast there. And I always felt like that was to protect me. And it just everything on that necklace is for protection. If I walked past that Maori guy today, I wouldn't recognize him. We didn't exchange numbers. We, we barely had a conversation because I was trying to be respectful, and so was he. But it was just that moment. That's where my medicine necklace came from. And actually, it's sitting on my desk now because I'm restringing it. I became vegan a few years ago, and I'm trying to, as the bone pieces break off, I've been replacing them with non-bone pieces and lots of river pearls, which aren't vegan, but I've had them for years. I'm just not going to buy new ones. And um, it changes every few years because it needs to be restrung about every three or four years. And I wear it every day. And it just helps to keep me grounded, remind me of home when I'm away from home, and um, keep me focused on good things, keep my mind right. That's what that necklace is for me. Thank you for asking. I love it. Thank you for that. I, I mean, every time I see that picture, I just like, God, I love What's the story behind it? And it's so much like how you describe music in that this necklace is alive. You keep it alive and it's organic as you create it and you continue to create it. And thank you for sharing. So 
Given that we're in this situation with COVID, how has music changed for you? Has it at all? How, yeah, I'm curious about this new, I feel like we're like pause and go, pause and go feel right now. I, so much has changed. Um, I've, when COVID first really hit and we went into lockdown and, I had the same reaction I think we all had, and it was like, is this really happening, and what does it really mean? And then I lost some community members, two community members up here, part of the the community. I'm kind of in up here, and that made it very real. And one was an elder, and from, from the same family, my little crew that I hang out with, and that watching my my really close friends and relatives have to deal with that grief and knowing that it could have been prevented and, you know, that was hard. And then just having your whole career in life stop, be put on pause, was really jarring. And um, so it was so hard that over the summer I was like, you know what, I'm retiring. I'm done with this. I'm done with the grind. I'm done with the competitive vibrations that are in the indigenous music scene, especially with women. And um, even if women aren't that way, other people will inject that energy. Like this, there can be only one vibration. And I'm just so tired of it. And it's not even that I'm this highly evolved person. I'm just really tired of it. Like we don't, we don't have time. We're we're in crisis. And our people need us to be grounded, and we really need to attempt to work together. There's definitely people I want to work with or be around, but the reality is, is as a macrocosm, as a, a greater community aside from our home community in Indian country through social media, especially, we kind of need to do a little better at at working together, or or suffer the consequences. You know what I mean? Suffer the consequences like our ancestors did. There's no way this continent would have been conquered by colonialism if everyone had worked together. Mm. Period. And, um, you know, everybody was, you know, you know how it is. You know how we all can be in our communities and in our families. Anyway, that's another conversation for another day. But I had come to this place where I just wanted to retire and just try and do better by my son and be more present for my son and and just kind of fold up, fold my petals up and hibernate for the rest of my life. And um, I also found, as you and I have spoke about, spoken about recently, that COVID is a, is, has been a great clarifier. So people and, and my own attitudes and, and core beliefs that just didn't serve me and and just weren't working had to be released and let go of and some of that meant friendships and nothing wrong with those people it's just not working for us you know what I mean and and it just clarified and then people I was close to we became even closer and I feel like I've learned something as a parent and I feel like I'm even closer to my own parents and just seeing everybody is just our basic teachings that we're just human beings and we're just doing our best and that when people are acting like idiots it's because generally they're in some kind of pain deep inside Mm -hmm. and they're not dealing with it and now we're all home we can't ignore it because nobody can go to work (laughs) nobody can go to school nobody can travel so you're you're home with your own head and your own spirit and can't blame anything else and all you have is you know yourself to really reflect on so it was a great clarifier of where am I at who do I want to be how do I want to be and it's it's as hard as it's been and as devastating as it's been financially and for my ego and all the things it's really helped in in my evolution and I think a lot of people unfortunately we've lost some people I noticed a lot of people in my circle who have trouble with addiction or falling real heavy back into their addictions because they're in pain and they don't know how to deal with it. So what I'm getting out of COVID is we need more harm reduction. We need more things in place to help our loved ones and relatives who turn to to 
addictive substances to dull their pain or to just deal with what's inside their heads. You know, that's that's what's been clarified for me. Unfortunately, I'm not an addiction counselor, and I don't have any other useful skills except uh, giving my opinions, memes, and music. <laughs> so I'm going to try and work work that out in music. So, so what happens is now when I'm composing and writing and doing stuff, I'm really not worried about if it's going to be a hit or if people are going to play it on their radio or podcast. I'm just going to do things and projects Within reason, I have to take some work that's just to make money because I have bills and I have a kid. But when I'm working for my own stuff, I've just totally released worrying about the things that they make you worry about in this business. I don't care who likes it. It's just I have something to say. I want to put a little bit of medicine out there for my loved ones who are having a hard time. And I want to teach. I really want to teach kids how to compose traditional, new traditional songs. And I, that's where I'm at right now. And that wouldn't have happened this quickly if it wasn't for COVID. So I'm really grateful for that part of it. I God, loved, I rambled. No, Sorry. no. I loved everything that you said I, in the sense of it being a clarifier and how it's really made you sort of stop to think what's important, like what is important right now. And I, I think a lot of families – our individuals see what is like, I, you know, I, I know this is about you, but I also want to, you know, like for a long time, like you, like I was traveling all over and I kept my desire, my big, my biggest desire was like, I want to be home. I want to work from home, but I didn't think it was possible. And COVID, <laughs> boy, did COVID show it is possible. Anything is possible. And, to really see your children, right? Like I see my boys, my guys, and what they're hungry for, what they're needing, and us figuring it out together in these past couple of months, you know? Uh, and it's interesting because you can see, you, you, it's like you don't even have to talk. You can walk into a room and you just know, okay, my son's not feeling like high vibrations today. <laughs> right. You right. Can, yeah. As before, I wouldn't have even known. Like I would have been just like, I gotta go to work. I'm getting. On, I'm getting on a plane. Right. Now, though, I'm so I can feel it, and so I. I just think it's great that you also are, have learned or experiencing or just recognizing who's important in your circle and and what matters. It made me think about like back to basics. You know, this COVID is almost having us go back to basics of what we've always known. And we've gotten so distracted with all this other stuff that's going on. What has your son appreciated about this time with you? Well, he's 16, so not much. <laughs> he's just like, he's, he's I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, he's, it's his sovereignty time, right? He got that perfect age where he is asserting his sovereignty so he's like that's great mom like get out of my face please <laughs> so I've been really trying to force myself to give him space it's hard I am a helicopter mom I parented out of fear and deep worry and you know I real I'm trying to fix that now too and um you know kids don't trust themselves if you're constantly worried about them they're like well what's wrong with me so I'm 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 just realizing the the error in some of my early parenting where I was just terrified of every little thing. And so I'm trying to rearrange that now and, and honor his sovereignty and his choices for himself. So, but it's challenging because he'll stay up till six in the morning if, you know, <laughs> every yes. night. But, you know, it's like you got to, you need vitamin D and you need daylight. And he's just like, but I can't get mad because I was the same way when I was 16. Anyway, <laughs> so... I don't know, and I also, we've been uh, loosely homeschooling for, like, now two years, or a year now. I can't remember. I lose time with this COVID thing because life stopped. But long before COVID, he, I had already taken him out of the mainstream school system because he was just wilting. My smart, perfect kid was just wilting in there instead of blossoming. And so, you know, he just, I took him out and... And I wanted to really respect 
his needs, his emotional needs. It was emotionally hurting him to be in regular school for all the different reasons that, that a lot of kids, you know, he's not alone and being bullied and, and the teachers just, you know, wanting him to bow to their authority. We had a lot of Karens in his last school, last two schools, and they were just like, you know, your son just, he just, you know, he wouldn't do what I said. I was like, mm-hmm. did he disrupt the class? No. Was he loud? No. Was he? I was like, oh, he wasn't expect- respecting your authority. Yes. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Not my kid. Wrong parent. <laughs> but, um, you know, we had some incidents where he just wasn't doing anything wrong, but he just wasn't, he's not a brick in the wall and none of our kids are. And that's so hard for people that have been born, raised and bred to be bricks in the wall. So that wasn't working for us. It wasn't working for him, most importantly. So we pulled him out. So consequently, COVID hasn't been that different for him. You know what I mean? A lot of homeschool is computer learning anyway. So it hasn't been that different. What's hard is we can't really, we would have spots that we would go, he likes to hike, and a lot of those spots were actually closed or, you know, minimally open. So that's what's been really challenging is we're all just kind of stuck here in each other's face like, hey. <laughs> and, you know, and we're we're suffering from living away from both of his communities because he's Tuscarora from his mom, but he's Oglala from his dad's side. So and we're so far away from both of those communities that, you know, it's just the way it is. I do the best I can. Is he following your footsteps in terms of music, singing? Um, the reason why I ask that is that I love and I want you to talk a little bit about amplifying some of your upcoming projects. Uh, you had said in there, like, you know, I'm making music for my son now and for future generations. And so curious if he's also sort of embracing the music. Yeah, he's he wants to learn. And I used to bring him on stage with me. And then one day he was like, I'm not doing this anymore unless I know everything perfectly. And so we're now doing practice. And I found some a woman who's a good friend of mine from the communities around here, these Northeastern communities. She wants her grandkids to learn. So we're, we're starting to do, um, I hate to say lessons or training, but we're just singing together. And I'm going to be teaching them, her grandkids and my son, everything that I know, everything I got. And then I hope he will rejoin me on stage after that. Cause he's got, he's got a great voice and I don't want him to miss out on that because he doesn't like the music business. <laughs> like don't, don't not make music and don't not sing just because the, the business side, I bring him with me a lot whenever it's financially feasible. And um, so he's traveled ever since I had my first gig when he was four days old and I had him with me at that gig. So, you know, he's been on my back when I've been on stage at times and strapped me and, you know, I've always tried to bring him with me whenever it was at all possible. So he's grown up around it, but, you know, it's just, we're in a unique challenging situation to be in the city. And the communities that are here that I've connected into because I'm a guest on their land, um, you know, you have to tread lightly and you have to be respectful. And there's a lot of things that are similar. There's a couple things that are different, but it's still Eastern coastal, so that's helpful. And, um, you know, it's just what happens when you're city Indian. What are you working on now? Uh, any new songs? Um, I want you to tell folks a little bit about Amplify. Oh, yeah, Amplify. Sorry. So Amplify is a new show. Uh, season one just is airing now. Um, and it's out of Canada from Aboriginal People's Television Network, APTN, which is an Indigenous television, all-Indigenous television network in Canada. And it's kind of like what BET is for African-American folks down here. And... um. I, for some sheer dumb luck reason, they were like, hey, we want to feature you in one of our episodes. So each episode, they feature a different musician. And 
they they have that musician work with an artist and and then through the work with the artist they come up with a new song and they film the process and they give you a topic or whatever and then they do interviews with both artists and then they edit it all together and air it. And my episode was about the Tuscarora War, which is really why explains why or the happening that happened, why Tuscaroras ended up in upstate New York and and in Canada. And uh and then the connection to my family who's from the ones who stayed behind. And yeah, so I we went, we shot everything a couple years ago and I brought my son and they wrote him in. And then my buddy, her name is Brenda Hill, she's Tuscarora. And I met her. We didn't even know each other with Tuscarora. We just met and hit it off years ago on another project through New England Foundation of the Arts. We just got along. And she's got a really same sense of humor. And um, then we found out who each other were in terms of that. And then she ended up emigrating to Six Nations a couple years ago or last year, year and a half. I can't remember. And no, a couple years ago. Uh, And we, you know, every time I would go up, we would hang out, eat and, you know, just hang out. And then when it came time for my episode, the producer, her name is Michelle St. John, excuse me, the director, Michelle St. John, she was just like, well, how about Brenda Hill? She's an, Brenda is an incredible potter. She went to IAIA and she just makes museum quality, amazing pots, Haudenosaunee pots, but also she's just given her own flavor to it. It's the best way I can put it. And there's just nobody else. Like she's connected to her ancestors. She's her. She's just connected to something. And um, and she's from Lewis. You know her lineage is to upstate New York, Tuscarawas. So it was a good. It was a good match. And um, so that was Amplify. It was a really, really good experience. It was really hard. I was going through some sh- some stuff. <laughs> stuff at the time and I I feel like you can see it on my face and like I don't know how to do makeup and my hair was all I was, was like skin in my teeth man and um but you know the the director really believed in me she gave me so much love and she and I was like I don't think I'm interesting enough for a whole episode if she's like shut up yes you are <laughs> just do your song speak your piece and let me take care of the rest. And, um, you know, it's just hard when you have cameras on you and there's all this pressure to look a certain way. And and there is pressure generally, not in this show, but there is pressure generally to be sexy. And, and you know, sexuality and sensuality is a part of all of us to different degrees. It's just a part of being a human being. But the way it's commodified and valued in the music business is very different. So it's like, I don't know. I know I post a lot of dirty jokes and I talk very candidly about these things, but when there's a camera on you, there's this pressure to, I don't know. I can't, I can't really articulate it, but I really didn't feel that way with this show. I didn't feel that pressure. It was just like, just relax and be who you are. So I really appreciated that. And um, I got to work with the Six Nations Women Singers, and they're old, old friends from years ago. You Lily, we used to work with them a lot. Smithsonian, and they're just good, good women. They really live the traditional teachings that they have from up there, and um, they live it. And they're great singers. And so it was so much fun to be able to work with people that I love and um, the Sadie Bucks, and it was just a lot of fun. It was a good experience. And when I can get my confidence up, I'll actually watch the finished episode. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll I'll get to be able to see that um, soon. Well, I'll definitely follow up and know and say, hey, can I post it? And so people can, can view that when it's ready to be shown here in the U.S. Is there, um, I, would you be able to sing something, just something brief for everyone to hear? Oh. 
I would love to hear smoking tobacco. Yes. Um. Yeah. What do you want me to sing? What do you feel? I I had an idea, but I'd rather you just sing what you feel you're feeling now. Okay. Well, how about how about I do an improv, like what we were talking about before? Yes. I have my headphones on, and I just I don't want it to be too loud. So I'm going to try and hold the little microphone away. Okay. This song is for you, Vicky. Thank you for having me on your show. And I really appreciate that, that you've given, giving me a voice in my older age. And um, it's one thing I appreciate about working in Indian country is, is that one thing that is easier for those of us who are women in the arts is we're not seen as less valuable the older we get. And I love that. I love that. Like, you know, that, that's one thing that we have. Um, so beautiful. Our value doesn't lessen. We get to become people. Actually, listen more when you're older. So I'm happy about that. And thank you. And I just want to acknowledge all of my ancestors. I I noticed that there's a a thing now about uh, Black Indians, and we have that in my family, and we have that in North Carolina a lot. Not everybody, but a lot of people on the Eastern Seaboard when everything went to hell back then and they started bringing in the people that were kidnapped and trafficked from Africa, they came and sometimes they would escape from those plantations and come and live amongst our communities. And um, we actually have a couple of stories of that, real actual stories of that. And so they would just mix in. We adopted them in. They just became a part of the people, learned our language, learned our ways, married in, had kids, and the rest is history. And I think sometimes when people see East Coastal Indians, they don't understand what they're looking at. They're looking at that history. And then it seems like these days they have to give it a label and call it something, Afro-Indigenous or whatever. And I'm just like, no, they're just what their tribal nation is. Especially if they grew up that way in their communities, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. We don't say Euro Indigenous if they're mixed with white, but um, <laughs> it just seems like we have this we have this thing going on now where, in order for people to understand what they're seeing, they need these like really strict labels for every little thing. And I'm really looking forward to the day when we move move beyond that and just realize that there's room for everybody on the wheel and everybody in the circle. But um, without worrying about a pie chart of 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 blood lineage, and you do need that to a certain degree after a while. But the way it's happening now is just weird to me at my age. But anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that, and we kind of explore some of that in the Rumble film. But anyway, here's your song, Vicky. All right, I'm listening. We're all listening. be nicer to each other and more patient we're not always going to agree on everything and uh harm reduction less judgment and uh restorative justice we need to get to the next step after calling people out we need the restorative justice part and that's thank you vicky i appreciate you 
Thank you, my sister. That was very beautiful. And I look forward to our next connection. We didn't get to talk about feminism or <laughs> other things, but this was just <laughs> simply beautiful. And I adore you and I love you. And thank you for sharing your medicine with us. Same. Same. And we are feminism. We just are by our kids. Yes. <laughs> we can talk about that another time. Yes, we will. <laughs> Take care. All right. Thank you.